0: In this first movement, Mahler immediately confronts us with a negative response to the question of life's value from the dark side of the human spirit. With music of shattering intensity and biting irony, Mahler presents a nihilistic philosophy in which human life is seen as devoid of value and meaning and necessarily ends in nothingness. Not since the sixth symphony has he written music so terrifying and permeated with such scathing sarcasm. After converting his inner demon's mocking laughter at human striving in the Sixth Symphony into a joke in the Seventh, and completely subduing it in the Eighth, Mahler brings it to the surface once again in Das Lied. But now the Mephistophelian underside of the human spirit responds to the glorious light of redemption attained in the Eighth with an indictment against life, Unrestrained in its fury and horrific in its imagery. Contrasting images create anomalies. A drinking song, usually bright and cheery, here incorporates a grotesque vision of the meaninglessness of human life. Beauties of nature are subjected to embittered cynicism. Thoughts of heavenly repose contrast with expressionistic howling that depicts an ape crouching in a graveyard, leering at us with a telling sneer. Dreadful thoughts of death should be understood as not merely the end of life, but its utter annihilation. They dredge up angst-ridden questions about life's meaning and value that continue to haunt the composer. While the opening trink lead raises them again, these questions remain unresolved at the end of the movement. The forceful closing measures only present them afresh, reinforced in chilling and brutal terms. Yet a hint of the resolution that will come in the finale appears in the midst of this demonic drinking song. At a meaningful moment in the third strophe, a glimmer of the life-redeeming philosophy presented at the end of Der Abschied, the final movement of Das Lied, is suggested in the momentary reference to the spring's eternal renewal of the earth. For the primary goal of Das Lied, quite oriental in its philosophy, is to allay fear of death, but unlike that philosophy, also to embrace life fully, its negative as well as its positive aspects. Trinklied is structured as a sonata movement in four strophes. The first exposition, containing two subjects, comprises the first strophe. For the second strophe, the exposition is repeated with modifications in a manner typical of Mahler's penchant for continuous development. The third strophe serves as the development section, and the fourth as the recapitulation. Each of these strophes ends with a motto-like phrase, dunkel ist das Leben, ist der Tod. Dark is life, so is death. This phrase has a downward pull and is based upon the quintessential tone row stated at the outset by the horns. Motivic connections bind the first two sections and certain phrases associated with mortality, such as du aber mensch, be long leaps, but you men, oh how long do you live? Also, take on motivic significance by returning in later movements. The driving intensity of the first two strophes contrasts with the reflective, meditated nature of the third strophe. Mahler treats the development section like an orchestral interlude. In the recapitulation, he reverses the order of the exposition's first two parts and omits the raging music that opens the movement which returns in the coda. Unlike most of Mahler's sonata form first movements, except the sixth, the exposition is repeated not verbatim, but with modifications. The development serves as a respite from the intense main argument presented in the exposition, and the recapitulation, not the development, contains the crux of the argument, which brings with it the movement's climax. Descending chromaticism produces a strong downward pull that contrast with upward thrusts in the strings, virtually tearing the musical line apart. Trumpet tattoos appear in various guises, but never produce the heroic bearing which they often evoke in Mahler's symphonies. Flailing woodwind trills and flutter-tongued flutes add a touch of devilish mockery. Chinoiserie decorates the orchestration, and pentatonic scales heighten the hallucinatory character of the music. Trinklied both begins and ends in Mahler's tragic key of A minor. As Donald Mitchell points out, it is not the conflict between the minor and major modes of the same key that constitutes, so to say, the heart of the matter, but rather the mitigation of A minor at the very close of the finale by the release in its ecstatic coda of a torrent of C major. Also interesting is the fact that it is the only first movement Mahler ever wrote in triple meter. It contains not a single march theme, which is true of only two previous symphonies, the first and the fourth. And as Paul Banks notes, there is no trace of dance music. The first movement opens with a blazing military signal that bursts out in the horns. It forms a motto that will reappear several times during the movement. This motto figure consists of a rising fourth that then falls by a fourth, and ends with another rising forth, the converse of whence it began. The inversion of the f- rising forth in this motto may betoken a demonic response to the vainy one and lumen accende motives from the eighth symphony that began with a falling forth. Here it functions like a summons that calls forth the nihilistic denial of meaning and value in life, and therefore eschews both light as a source of meaning and creativity as purpose. The shape of the theme turns around itself in full circle and thereby implies eternal return, but in a negative way. The worst in life must also return with the best. This motto contains a tone row that functions as a symbol of nihilism. Its riveting rhythmic accompaniment consists of rapid staccato triplets and trumpets, flutter tongue quarter notes in flutes, grace-noted eighths in clarinets, pizzicatos in second violins, and impishly flitting figures in oboes and spiccato violas. Together they sound like machine gun fire. This confluence of diverging rhythmic figures recurs elsewhere in the movement, where its individual elements take on motivic significance. Descending chromatics in the theme and its accompaniment draw the music downward, and give it a menacing, disdainfully mocking quality. We are in the grip of a terrifying force that threatens our very existence. Here is the motto. Violins and violas take up the tone row motto theme in a more emphatic and expansive version that also begins with a rising fourth thus forming the movement's first thematic subject, Theme 1. While low woodwinds and cellos briefly repeat the motto theme, and harps sweep it along with arching waves of arpeggios that both recall their appearance in the eighth and foreshadow their use in the finale. Pentatonic scales permeate Theme 1, which provides the melodic premise for the dunkel refrain that will be heard at the end of each strophe. Let's go back to the beginning and hear both the opening motto and Theme 1. When the orchestral introduction reaches its peak on an expansion of Theme 1, the motive of longing becomes a thematic element. It no longer tenderly yearns for fulfillment and redemption as in the eighth, but sounds defiant and malevolent. As theme one concludes on descending quarter notes in woodwinds against an extended eighth note version of the theme in violins, the orchestral introduction telescopes into strophe one. The tenor enters on the three-note upbeat of the motive of longing, countered by its inversion in winds and supported by ascending eighths in second violins and violas against descending eighths in the first violins. With great power, according to Mahler's direction, mid-fold the tenor begins his malevolent drinking song. His first four climbing notes form another fourth interval and contain the longing motive. At the high point of his entrance, violins assert a reconstituted fragment of the motto theme, echoed briefly by woodwinds. Second violins add a rising four-note figure that will take on thematic significance as the movement proceeds. Violins play a capsulized version of theme one that ends as the cellos repeat the fragmentary reference to the motto theme, with which strophe one began. Syncopated rhythms in the melodic line keep the music slightly off balance, weakening the first beat and thereby deflating its emphatic treatment in the original statement of the motto theme and theme one. Horns play a descending modal, partly chromatic phrase with strong accents against chromatically descending trills in the first violins. The last of these trills overlaps with the return of the tenor after the dynamic level diminishes the tenor sings a chromatic variant of the same rising notes with which he began strophe one against descending trills in the first violins, which lead into a stable D major chord that seems to draw the music inward. As the tenor continues with what at first appears to be essentially the same music to which he sang the first line of the text, cellos add a turn figure, followed by an inversion of the three-note upbeat of Longing anticipating by one measure the addition of this turn in the vocal line. Here is the beginning of the first strophe. we just heard at the end of the last excerpt, the tempo eases up briefly and then suddenly reverts back to the opening allegro for a brief restatement of the motto theme. When the tenor returns after a few measures, the accompaniment is quickly reduced to strings alone. Then violins, with the motto played by the glockenspiel, play the first three notes of theme one. They continue thematic development in a manner completely divorced from the vocal line toying with the motto theme's falling three-note phrase in different rhythmic configurations. The four-note rising figure is asserted into the vocal line, and the motive of woe, falling minor second, appears three times in the third line of the text on the words kummer, seele, and klingen. On the last of these words, Mahler creates a musical effect by holding on to the two-note woe motive, made to sound more resonant by the sparkling tones of the glockenspiel. However, that instrument goes on to play the third note of the motto theme along with the woodwinds, while they sustain the second note of woe. The first part of the exposition, which we'll call the A section, closes just as these two ringing notes sound in the voice, and the full orchestra re-enters with a strong statement of a variant of theme one in the mournful key of B flat minor, propelled by waves of harp arpeggios. We'll now hear the return of the opening motto that precedes the continuation of strophe one. As the theme descends, it also softens, leading directly into the exposition's B section. In contrastingly somber tones, the B section begins with a variant of the motto theme, played with shivering trills in first violins against the barest of woodwind and string accompaniment. Although the harmonic underpinning indicates that the key is now G minor, the thematic material shifts between minor and major, an indication of tonal instability that mirrors the rhythmic imbalance of the a section no longer present here, after three measures on the motto theme in violins, the tenor returns with a new diatonic theme we'll call theme two, that also shifts between major and minor. Mahler directs that it be sung duster, zart, gloomy, sensitive, and with the following phrase, Mahler says notwithstanding the sensitive tone, still with passionate expression. For a few measures, countervailing rhythms, flutter-tongue and pizzicato descending chromatics from the introduction, return as background, their fiery temperament now cooled. Flutes and clarinets replace this rhythmic configuration with a descant to the vocal theme in D minor. Minor and major sections, denoting the motives of woe and farewell, respectively, are incorporated into theme two, to which the tenor sings of worldly cares that plague the soul. A rising chromatic phrase based on the ascending three-note upbeat of longing is written in duple meter, creating a hemiola-like effect against the prevailing triple meter. This phrase is sung to the first words of the penultimate line of strophe one, welkt hin und stirbt, implying by its syncopated rhythm that life's joys are not sure and steady. A repetition of the phrase appears in the orchestra after the vocal line concludes. It will take on an increasingly significant role during the course of the movement. With this eerie ascending phrase comes the close of the B section, which brings with it an uneasy stillness engendered by soft major key harmonies in woodwinds and harps. Soon the atmosphere darkens as the tonality shifts to G minor for the closing refrain, Dunkel ist das Leben, ist der Tod, based upon the motto, shaped as a continuation of the opening notes of theme one. The use of eastern modality in the Dunkel refrain imbues it with a Delphian aura of prophetic vision. With this oracular pronouncement, as darkly mysterious as it is ambivalent the otherwise restful B section concludes Mahler telescopes the close of the B section into the return of the A section, beginning the new section on the very same note on which the previous one ended. Now the raging fury of the introduction returns, and with it, horns forcefully assert the motto theme, accompanied by a somewhat attenuated version of the demonic flickerings of woodwind trills, flutter-tongued flutes, violin triplets, etc. These triplets force the music downward chromatically, as at the beginning of the movement. A solo trumpet adds a new thematic figure based upon elements from Theme 1, the rising fourth upbeat followed by a reconfiguration of the motto, and a phrase consisting of four rising notes first heard in the orchestra during the opening of Strophe 1. Theme 1 does not actually reappear, but during the development of its trumpet variant on horns, the expanded theme one from the first A section does return. Once again, we feel the pull of rising and falling notes in contrary motion that created directional ambiguity during the first A section. Here it is used to introduce strophe two. Rhythmic variations of both the motto theme and theme one set against its trumpet variant, chill the atmosphere. Horns blare out the motto theme with terrifying power while strings and then trombones drag theme one downward with strong accents. Second violins and violas, in their high registers, introduce strophe two with the same falling syncopated phrase from theme one that followed the tenor's entry at the beginning of strophe one. The soloist begins strophe two with three notes that rise stepwise into the bar, sung to the words, Her dieses houses. He began strophe one in the same way. But instead of climbing by a single step when the singer reaches the next measure, its first note is a third higher and is succeeded by a falling second. Thus, the entire phrase takes on the shape of the motive of longing, which itself ends with the falling major second of the farewell motive. Again, horns powerfully assert their motto theme. Violin's falling chromatic figure opposes the tenor's rising phrase, during a brief retard. With slight variations, the music that follows is essentially the same as that heard in the first A section, with the phrase sung to the words euch klingen, no longer rising to a scream of woe, leaving the violins with the melodic line before a key shift to B flat major. With this key change, the transition passage to the B section returns, but this time in a much calmer mood, Woodwinds continue with theme one, as at the end of the previous A section, but now it is played softly and sweetly, like a lullaby. They accompany a rising vocal line on the words, die Leute schlagen und die Gläser lehren, sung to two phrases, one an extension of the other, the first ending on the falling minor second of woe, the second on the falling major second of farewell. The following line is sung to an expanded version of theme two, now in the minor key with modal passing tones. At the same time, violins play theme one on soft swells. Harp arpeggios enhance the floating motion of theme one. Another key change, now to A flat minor, ushers in the return of the B section, virtually the same as before, but with slightly fuller orchestration and a few modifications in the vocal line and rhythmic accompaniment. Ist mir wert is sung to an upward arching phrase that ends with the falling minor second of woe, repeated twice for emphasis. This cellular phrase will be used later in the symphony and reappears in the fourth movement of the tenth. Two solo violins imitate the opening horn motto in an elongated version as the tenor sings the penultimate line of this strophe. Now in F minor, the dunkel refrain concludes the reprise of the A section, moving into the major as it is extended in the orchestra. Instead of ending at the same time as the ferocious music of the opening measures returns, the refrain telescopes into a heavenly bridge passage on theme one in violin's upper register, shifting to woodwinds on a wafting phrase that functions as a thematic extension. The entire exposition concludes softly and gently with an oboe playing a fragment of theme one, and violins, an inverted version of the syncopated rising three note figure that introduced the Dunkel refrain. Here is the reprise of the A section that contains strophe two to the end of the exposition. Orchestral texture is reduced to bare essentials as the development begins. As we heard at the end of the last excerpt, a jolting pizzicato entrance in strings, reinforced by its forzando shudder in second violins, shakes us out of the dreamlike state in which the exposition ended, a refuge from the onslaught of the first subject. Violin tremolos on an F minor chord generate underlying tension as a muted solo trumpet quietly enters with the first few notes of the opening motto. The English horn counters with a fragment of theme one. First violins quote the three-note motive previously sung to the words Ist mehrwert, repeating it as the tenor did earlier. Solo clarinet develops fragments from theme two, including the modal rising four-note figure, while violins counter with a variant of theme one the two fitting nicely together because of the thematic aspects they have in common. Heavy accents contrast with the piano pianissimo markings. The downward motion of the musical line that is rhythmically regularized in the violins but syncopated in clarinets creates an impression of unsteadiness. Pentatonic scales contrast with major minor scales. At the bottom of a long descending line, the development seems to recommence as the shuddering F minor tremolo chord and flute flutter-tonguing return, but the English horn repeats the four-note rhythmic figure of the motto theme several times, as if in a state of increasing anxiety. The same thematic elements with which the development began now return. Theme one is further developed in violins, and the first trumpet in counter-variations, after the violins quote the ist mehr wert motive twice. A brief climax occurs during which wide leaps disfigure Theme 1's upbeat into a two-measure phrase in cross-current meters that anticipate the climax hemiolas that appear in the finale. Once again, the segment concludes on a descending modal scale in violins, this time stated forcefully, and with the same extension of the falling syncopated figure with which the exposition ended. Here is the beginning of the development to this point. Strophe three begins softly but passionately on a phrase that contains four falling seconds sung to the words ewig, erde, lange, and feststein, virtually a coded message for the unattainability of eternal life. Violin musings on theme one provide a descant to the tenor's somber, though disquieting thoughts. On the words und the tenor stretches the interval of the rising first note of the Istmerevert motive to an octave, making it sound like a fervent prayer for eternal life to blossom forth. A chamber ensemble of flutes, English horn, and violins provides a brief interlude. They repeat the Istmerevert motive against rapid-fire triplets from the first subject. As orchestral forces increase and the music becomes more passionate, on fragments of the descending scalar figure from theme one, the tenor re-enters, singing now with increased emotion. His cry of, Du aber mensch, be lang lebst den du, shakes us to the core. The vocal line for these important words contains the first two falling notes of theme one, the ist mir wert motive, and the rising syncopated phrase that introduces the dunkel refrain, raised by a half-step, emphasizing humanity's questionable fate. It also contains the falling second of farewell. Strings extend the vocal phrase by adding a twice-repeated rising three-note figure that recalls a similar phrase that appeared during the three climaxes of the finale of the Third Symphony that bring back the terrors of the first movement. Now the tenor answers his own question about human mortality. On an ascending chromatic phrase in duple meter... That works against the prevailing triple meter and ends with a falling second, an expansion of the Ist Mehr Wert motive. The singer defiantly asserts his most terrible accusation against life Not 100 years may you enjoy yourself with all the rotten trifles of this earth. The vocal line contains elements of theme one, the Ist Mehr Wert motive on the word Ergötzen, enjoy an extension of the falling sequence from theme one. It ends with its opening notes introduced by an upbeat of a minor ninth on the word erde, accompanied by violins with the falling cadential phrase that segued into the return of of the development's opening measures. Riveting chromatic figures thrust out on woodwinds and horns. A single stroke of the Glockenspiel puts a chilling period to this strophe. Here is the remainder of the development section from strophe three. As if with a flash of lightning, the recapitulation begins as we reach the crux of the argument. It is at this point of crisis that the singer will describe a scene as terrifying as it is grotesque, a fantastic vision of an ape crouching in a moonlight graveyard, wildly howling, as the text says, amidst the sweet scent of life. On one level, the ape represents the animal nature of man, to which he is inevitably bound, Despite all his efforts at civilization, for Mahler it symbolizes his own demon, rising from deep within his soul to taunt him with a cynical grimace. Such a grotesque vision could have been conjured up by any of the romantic tale spinners like Eichendorff, Richter, or E.T.A. Hoffmann, to whose fantastic Märchen Mahler was attracted in his youth. But Mahler's imagery is more than mere fantasy. It has an expressionistic quality that invites comparison with the grotesque hallucinations in Schoenberg's *Pierre Lonier* and *Erwartung*, the tortured convulsions of a deeply troubled soul. Declamatory outbursts, descending chromatics, and a final superoctave dive that occur during this climactic passage are characteristic of expressionism. It should also not go unnoticed that this climactic section begins the recapitulation although usually expected during the development. But while certainly taking us back to the first subject, it does not have the character of recurrence, but of crisis and calamity, a very unusual role for a recapitulation that was intended to set things right again after the development pulls contrasting themes apart. Here the recapitulation begins with a whirlwind on the same rapidly rising glissando that appeared immediately after the opening trumpet call at the beginning of the movement. The raging fury of the opening returns with unabated violence. Horns wail out the motto theme, while trumpets violently sputter the falling three-note syncopated figure. Played in gripping chromatic flashes and extended with heavily accented quarter notes, evoking an image so horrible that it takes a strong constitution to confront it without flinching to the Ist motive, beginning on a rising fourth, combining the motto theme with the first three notes of theme one. Sung to the words Im Monshine and echoed by horns, the singer begins to describe his horrific vision. As he expands upon the cellular motive for the succeeding lines of the text, violins sputter out a diminutive version of the motto theme in rapid eighths, which Mahler instructs me played gerissen, rippingly, they are echoed by horns. The vocal line from the opening A section is now distorted by hemiolic figures sung demonstratively as we now confront the malevolent demon within us. Theme one and the motto theme are treated motivically. The downward pull of the syncopated figure that introduced the development becomes as pronounced as the ist mir wert motive. Both forcefully tug at each other in close combat. When the singer cries out at the sight of an ape on the ist mir wert motive, oboes respond briefly with the same syncopated figure. During the climactic passage, a falling fourth, repeated twice on the words, hört ihr wie sein inverts the opening notes of theme one and the motto theme. Furiously, horns keep repeating the motto theme as if focusing us on the events described by the singer. He sings of an ape crouching in the corner of the graveyard, howling at us amidst the sweet scent of life. The music here expresses raging terror. After a sequence of three descending chromatic notes that repeat wildly, this terrifying graveyard scene comes to a horrific conclusion as the singer leaps up to a high B-flat on the word labens. He holds on to this tone as if for dear life, while the orchestra continues its wild fury which finally succumbs after violins burst out in rapid fire imitation of the motto theme on a grotesque dive that falls by a ninth. We are shaken. This hideous apparition unleashes our worst fears about the true worth of human life. a furious descent in the violins that extends the falling vocal line. As if to continue this grotesque imagery, the singer recovers his composure and re-enters on a rising version of the three-note syncopated figure that appeared during the transitions throughout the movement. With sneering mockery, he invites us to take up our glasses and drain them to the full, as if to celebrate the victory of nihilism. Although his words may seem affirmative, Sinister chromaticism on this rising phrase should leave little doubt that Mahler did not intend these words to convey a positive meaning. For if the singer is truly a Mephistophelian character, his invitation to take up the wine glass could only be made in mocking irony. I suggest that it is conceptually the same malevolent singer who will give a direct expression of his devaluative accusation against life in the Trunkino, fifth movement. To strains from the second part of the first subject, the singer gently entices us to drink to life, knowing full well that life is ultimately worthless. Ironically, he sings the last words of the text's penultimate line to the motive der churn from the fourth leader, anticipating its tortuous distortion in the finale. Woodwinds quietly play the opening notes of theme one, repeated even more softly in high violins, as the introduction to the final dunkel refrain, elements of theme one appear in violins toward the end of the vocal phrase, and flutes play an elongated version of the major to minor motive of fate. In the tragic key of A minor, the orchestra bursts out furiously as at the beginning, so that the singer's disingenuous words will not distract us from his life-negating message. In a brief coda, the wildly raging music of the opening sounds even more threatening now. It reminds us not to forget the horrific vision we were forced to witness at the beginning of the recapitulation. The notes of theme one are stretched out and attacked with great force. The motto theme is reconfigured to sound even more grotesque, Notice that the very last two notes of theme one in the violins form the minor second of woe. With a sharp stroke in the orchestra immediately after the woe motive sounds that cuts deep like a dagger thrust, this terrifying drinking song comes to an end. One might consider the last ironic toast of the singer as an expression of amor fati, Nietzsche's love of fate, if it had not been asserted with the sneering grin of a Mephisto. Mahler, of course, gives no hint here that it is. But who else but Faust's underside could respond to the positive conclusion of the eighth? If there is a hint of affirmation in the trink it occurs during the third strophe when the words foreshadow the penultimate line of text in the finale, the poetic image of eternal return. The closing section, however, should leave the listener completely shattered by the sheer force of its wild-eyed and blatant assertion of nihilism. We will have to wait until the end of the symphony for life to be affirmed after this powerful onslaught of life denial. But for the time being, we must explore significant aspects of the human spirit to learn more from them about life's meaning in order to achieve a new, more substantial, if less definitive, manner of redemption from nihilism. Thus I suggest that after Trinklead ends, the singer takes his own advice and takes up the wine for the sole purpose of succumbing to a drunken stupor, followed by sleep in which he hopes he will find peace. In drink-induced sleep, he dreams of three basic characteristics of human life, positive and negative, loneliness, youth, and beauty. During each of these succeeding movements, hints of the dreadful graveyard scene arise, like ghosts evoked by the music and text to function as a constant reminder of its terrible condemnation of human life. Yet each time, these vague recollections of Trinkley's disturbing vision quickly disappear, often enveloped in hope or joy. Their recurrence is necessary to continuously renew the life-affirming principle that is ultimately their undoing.